This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. everybody i am glenda geek from ocala florida and i'm wendy ying from sarasota florida and you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for december 6th episode 2071 this episode is brought to you by five elements for animals and the american driving society good morning horse world Well, that's right. It is driving radio show time here on Horses in the Morning, and Dr. Wendy is back. Hi, Dr. Wendy. Are you recovered from Radiothon? Yes, I love Radiothon. <laughs> it always gives me a boost at the end of the year. Was it was it uh, as e- was it easier to do it from home without five hours of driving? No, it wasn't as fun. Wasn't as fun. You weren't here for the no. party. I know it wasn't as fun. Next year, I'm definitely coming up. Are you? Well, good. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, Kyle's fun and we had a good time, but it's like we missed the radiothon atmosphere. Yes, with all the food here. We we had the atmosphere and the excitement in the office and it was Well, and then I didn't know like the things were going wrong, you know, like (laughs) That's right. Actually, not too much went sound- wrong this time. It was oh, because it good. sounded great. But, yeah. you know, I always thought there must be all this drama in the background that I'm missing out on. No, you know, that's the way it ha- was for the first several years. <laughs> but this year, <laughs> nothing broke. Everything worked. It was great. So oh. thank you for helping out with that. And uh, thank you for being my co-host. No problem. I love to give away all those prizes. Congratulations to everybody that won a prize. That was so, that's so exciting. It's so fun. The guy that uh, won the saddle, Wade, uh, Jennifer talked to him on the phone and he was very excited. So congratulations to everybody. What do we have on today's driving show? Okay. Today we chat with author Nancy Gauthier about her latest murder mystery novel set in the carriage driving community. Dwayne Posh tells us about his big win at the American Driving Society's Intermediate Level Championship with his horse, Scooter. And Desiree Herman previews... Yeah, Scooter, I need like that. And Desiree Herman previews the Carriage Association of America's annual meeting in January right here in sunny Sarasota, Florida. Plus, we have our regular segments this month. Kitty Cadwell shares her Tremont training tip. In the TCVM segment, Dr. Rosemary Gerber, who's a professor of equine medicine at the College of Veterinary Medicine in South Africa, discusses the evolution of the horse. And in Carriages 101, Kathleen Hack gets us ready for the holidays, sharing her knowledge of sleighs. Jeez, I'm tired just listening to that. It's a big show today, uh, everybody. And big show. We're going to get Packed right with to lots it. Of stuff. Hey, do you think his he won the intermediate level championship with his horse named Scooter? Do you think that means my Scooter could win something? Yes, it means scooters are winners. Winners, that's right. What is our product feature for this month? Well, our product feature is an herbal formula called Equine Duho. This formula is very similar to Body Sore, which I've talked about in the past. And Body Sore is an herbal formula for aches and pains. That's why it's named Body Sore. Um, But in Chinese medicine, you know, we deal with like the yin and the yang, the hot and the cold. And you and I live in Florida, so we have very few cold diseases. But 
In the rest of the country, it's getting cold, and older animals also have trouble with cold. So, you know, in cold climates or like older horses, when it's cold, they get um, pain in their joints. Sometimes they can have back pain. Equine Duho is a great formula for joint pain in the winter months because it's a warming formula. It has some herbs that warm the body. Also, the yang of the body is like the furnace, right? It's what keeps you warm. And as you get older, you know, uh, older geriatric animals tend to be chilly all the time. So this formula is a great formula to keep them warm too. So it drives off the cold and it helps pain in the joints. It comes in a concentrated powder form that's really palatable for horses. Um, and we also have this formula for, for dogs and cats. And if you wanted to know more about um, kidney yang deficiency or geriatric arthritis, you can go to uh, drwendying.com. And you can search in the um, search box for cold or for equine duho. And we have some great blog posts about that. And you can learn all about the products. Very good. And older people uh, get chillier too. That's right. This is actually a very popular formula for humans. And humans, it's called, um, uh, the translation is called solitary hermit, which is one of the most popular formulas that you might see if you buy herbs at the um, health food stores. Cool. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Wendy. And next up, we have our Tremont training tip. Our Tremont training tip for this month, Katie Cadwell joins us and tells us all about the Southern Pine Safari Drive. Hi, Wendy and Glenn. Hi, Katie. You know, I'm so excited about the Safari Drive. I think that is like one of the most popular events in Southern Pines. And I know like there's tons of people stalking you on Facebook to watch and see what happens. I know. And we had 28 drivers this year. It was a <laughs> lot. It was turned out to be a perfect day. And, you know, the Moore County Driving Club is so huge that it's yeah. just like we get as many people out for, you know, everything we do. But yes. We hid 28, 25 animals, and there were 28 entries. How do you get the zebras <laughs> and the giraffes and the rhinos to cooperate? Well, because we use more like giant stuffed bears and uh. llamas, which apparently caused a bit of a problem. The horses thought the llamas might be a little bit scary. Oh, the <laughs> llamas did look cutouts. scary. Yes. And then we even are so mean that sometimes we put little tiny beanie babies in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> Scooter would be gone. My pony would be in the next state. They learn not to worry about it. It's good training. It, good it like helps with everything that we've talked about, about making our horse calm and walking and groups. It all works together. It does. That's very true. I mean, you can't do this safari drive if your pony is a wild maniac. Where do I well, see pictures? I want to everything. look at pictures. Where do I find pictures? Uh, look on look on our Facebook. Which was which is what Miranda or Katie Cadwell? Okay. There are pictures on Facebook. Okay, I'll, I'll look that so, up. Or the Moore so, County Driving Site. So tell us how it works. What? How do? How do you do the safari drive? So we we do an optimum time. So you don't know the time. The course is usually about four or five kilometers, and mm -hmm. we hide all these animals. So if you go really slow, it doesn't help you. Some people have to get off at every animal and see what they are. But you <laughs> a good trot. And then try yeah. to find the most this year. So it's like a say, scavenger hunt. It's exactly what it is. And it's super fun. But um, Deborah Branson 
and her daughter, Mary Grace, and my niece, Erin, won. They found all the animals in the optimum time. That's great. And um, so, I mean, it's fun and all doing this safari drive, but what, like, how do you get your horse ready for that? Like, why would this be important in our training? Well, I have to say that for the more county drivers, this is like, an amazing championship. You want to be safari champion. <laughs> That's true. You have bragging rights for a year. But think about it. So there are 28 entries there. Your horses have to be in a group. They mm-hmm. have to stand at the start line. They have to, our trails are all through the woods. And this year there was a lot of water because it had rained the day before. Oh. So some of the trails had water, so water crossing. Mm-hmm. And if you need to stop and check out what the animal is, you have to be able to stop. And then people can pass you on the trail. That's right. And someone's going, if someone's out of control and going fast or super slow, yes, you might get passed. Mm -hmm. So I think it all like adds up for everything we've been talking about. Right. So our takeaway would be, you know, be safe and we want to enjoy our horses, whatever we do. We want to have fun with our horses. That's our goal. Okay. The llamas are frightening. (laughs) Well, okay, well, that's so, a good, another good training tip. You know what? I always I just do? saw the picture of the llamas and I'm scared. If I saw the llamas, <laughs> I would be like, oh my God, I think my horse is going to spook at the llamas. And Kitty would tell me that is all in my mind. Send them the other way. Give them a job to do. So they want to look at these llamas. What do you do? Just what we were working on in the ring and on the circles, we bend them away from it and give them another job to do. And then all of a sudden the driving horse is like, oh, I need to do my job. Even the riding horses, just give them another job and they will learn not to spook at things like that. I'm looking at the bear, the five foot bear you put in the tree. <laughs> yes, we might have put him up in the tree. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and think about now the hazards aren't going to be scary at all. If everybody if wants to see a picture. You can drive by a five use... foot teddy bear hanging in a tree, you can drive a hazard. If you can drive by these obnoxious looking llamas with sunglasses, you can drive by anything. I'm going to put a picture of those in our show notes. That's going to be our show notes picture if everybody wants to see it. Perfect. (laughs) That's crazy. Perfect. Hey, you know what? You know how I won, uh, Katie did one year doing tandem? Katie did has a hazard. Remember the big bull in the middle of that hazard? Oh, yeah, they've finally taken it out because so many horses were afraid of it. Well, the short way was, like, headed towards that bull. And I'm driving tandem, and Duke is terrified of cows. So I'm like, okay, I'm this ne- it's never going to work. So I just went all the way around. But everybody driving tandem got, like, stuck by that cow. Yes. At so, least it wasn't a live cow. Well, I mean, either way, it was bad. But... But I think having a safari drive, like we laugh about it and think it's fun, but it, it's a really good training technique because you don't know what's going to be on the marathon. Right. And, but also, not just for us combined drivers, how about for just our pleasure drivers? They come out and enjoy it and people ride the course too. Oh, they do? That's fun. Yes. So, so it makes it fun for everybody. To, uh, there was a, a Moore County member out, with they rode their two giant mules. Oh, fun. And they had the best time. You know, I think that is probably the most difficult thing to do with a driving horse, especially like you guys are lucky because you live in a town like Southern Pines where people get together and there's lots of easements and people, horses see other horses riding and driving. But before, uh, when I first started driving, I used to be on a little 
five acres and my pony wouldn't see many people riding and driving unless I went to an event. So So, it becomes stressful. Yeah. So, so being passed with another carriage could be scary for him. Mm-hmm. So these kind of events are actually such great training, especially if you're training at home. Right. Exactly. And you think, okay, you've also shipped in. You've had to harness up out in the field, put two out in the field. It mm-hmm. all adds together all these stepping stones that we do. It's all building blocks mm-hmm. that make it safe for us to compete and, and safe to, that we can enjoy our sport. Because that's what we do. We all do this for the love of but mostly for the love of our, our animals, our horses. That's true. And the, I saw some pictures of, uh, of the people driving and that is something that sometimes riders don't realize about driving till they start doing it. But you always, you always take a passenger and it's that much more fun. And your passenger doesn't have to know how to ride or do anything. They can just sit there and enjoy the horses too. Right. It's a little more social. Yeah. Even when so, we're competing, it's more social. <laughs> and what do you think about the horse's um, mental status when they do things like this? Well, it's just like uh, anyone's education. The more they know, the better it is. Mm-hmm. So the more they see, the more they're exposed to, the more everything becomes a non-issue. Yeah. And I, I think also, too, like I know when I'm competing, I used to feel like a lot of pressure, like getting ready to start whatever phase I was starting. And I think the horses can sense that. So this one, like if you're getting stressed out about the safari drive, then you need to take a Xanax because (laughs) it's supposed to be fun. (laughs) Wendy, you would be amazed at the amount of stress and the, the people standing over the scorer counting to make sure that their count is correct. No way. Very serious event. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize it was so cutthroat there. One of these years, she's going to surprise everybody and have live animals. That'll just (laughs) freak them all out. Yes. (laughs) I think we'd be in big trouble. (laughs) They used to have that in the old days of combined driving, didn't they? Didn't they have to write a rule so that you couldn't have live animals on marathon? At Fairhill, they had pigs in a pen. (laughs) Hey, I yeah, saw this story that's today. That's not such a good idea. Kind of related and unrelated, but I can only talk about it with Wendy on this show. So, uh, Wendy Fox hunts. Do you fox hunt at all? Yes. So, in England, of course, they have all the protesters, all the PETA people are out harassing the hunts all the time, and they get aggressive. So, this one farmer decided to put an end to it. They drove up in the car toward where the hunt was starting off. Did you see this, Wendy? No. He had his tractor with his humongous bucket in the front filled with manure. Uh And as soon as they drove up the road to start harassing them, he took the tractor into the middle of the road and dumped the manure right on their car, right in their windows. Oh, that's so good. I mean, perfect. completely inside. They had their windows open completely inside and outside, just dumped manure right on it. I had to laugh. I know it's not. I don't encourage dumping manure. They deserve it. It's a good use for it. (laughs) Sorry. This is the only show I could mention it on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Katie, what do we have to look forward to in January? Well, I think we should get into a little bit more serious work and talk a, a little bit about hazards now. Oh, hazards, my hazards. favorite. Yay. Yeah, and about time, about setting your times and learning to drive a pace. Oh, I think that's a great thing. You taught me so much about that. I'm telling you, my uh, 
my marathon scores changed drastically when you taught me how to really regulate my pace a lot better and be smart yeah. on my course. Well, if you want to find the, the Cadwells, go to Miranda Orchidi, all one word, Miranda Orchidi Cadwell on Facebook, and just search for Cadwell. You'll, it'll probably come up, and you'll find their Facebook page there and with all kinds of good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you guys. Well, our next guest is Nancy Lindley Gautier, combined driving enthusiast from New Hampshire. She's most known for competing a pair of halflingers, but she also drives tandem, my favorite, and has even driven unicorn. Uh, she writes some nonfiction articles for the CAA, the Carriage Association of America Journal, but her latest feature is a book called The Near Wheeler, a killer carriage collection. It's a collection of mysteries uh, that carriage driving enthusiasts will enjoy. It's a assortment of mysteries wrapped within a mystery. It's not all about contemporary carriage driving. There's also some odd historic coaching adventures, or you can half pass into the whimsical. So welcome, Nancy. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so excited about this book. I love murder mysteries, and I love carriage driving, so I can't wait to read it. Oh, that's awesome. I wrote it for that very reason. You know, I, I couldn't find anything that had all of the elements that I wanted to read all together. Please tell me there's a little Asian four-in-hand driver that's the murderer. Oh, my oh, God. How did am you I know? The <laughs> Actually, you know what? I can't give that kind of thing away, can I? <laughs> she can't put an Asian person in there because I'm the only Asian in driving, so everybody will know it's me. <laughs> that's true. I, I'm pretty sure that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because we have Pao Lin. We have Pao Lin, too. <laughs> there's two. <laughs> <laughs> two of us. But, um, so, Nancy... Uh, there must be people that we know in there. Will we know who they are? Or did you have to like really try your hardest to not? Well, you know, us... I'm supposed to say it's completely fictional characters, but I think everyone should read with an eye out to find themselves. <laughs> Sounds so exciting. I kind of do that with everything, don't I? So, so how did you, how did you come about writing this book? Well, it's a funny thing. One of the stories in there, kind of in the middle, it's, it's, uh, it's mostly contemporary, but there's some stories that sort of cast back into memory and history for some of the main characters. And one of the stories actually kind of kicked off the whole thing. I was re researching the Powell coach at Mount Vernon, mm -hmm. which I think doesn't get anywhere near enough press um, because it's a wonderful vehicle in its own right, even if it wasn't Washington's. But... Um, <laughs> So I was researching that, and there's really a lot of questions and doubt about its history and its use and the, the people involved, um, to the point where some of the people that have cared for it and stewarded it are part of its story now. And I kept thinking, you know, if someone had written this as a fiction, it would be totally, everyone would read it. And mm -hmm. so I started to write that just as a short story. And when I finished it, I realized, boy, I could do a whole bunch of these. I love this. <laughs> so that was actually the kickoff for me putting together a whole selection of them. So this is a bunch of short stories as opposed to one big, it's, long book. It really is okay. one big, long book in that the main characters are, are playing throughout. Ah, okay. But they, every now and then, they, they cast back into a, you know, a memory or they find a bit of research that brings them to a historical story. Oh, cool. Um, and as I was such an Agatha Christie fan as a kid, there's a few of them that are, you know, researched 
stories about coach driving, um, like the London to Brighton run, that kind of thing. I love that myself. So I really loved kind of sharing that and re-researching all of that countryside and geography that they covered. And this is truly a, a book time. for any carriage driver, any any driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I, I really hope so because, you know, it's definitely a little look at the contemporary combined driving world, but there's a lot of recreational driving and there's some racing in there. Uh, I know a bunch of people that drive standard breads, both for racing and for pleasure and wonderful horses. And so I really wanted to feature different horses. You know, I wanted to remind people that minis are out there competing and that kind of thing. So I tried not to leave anyone out. Um, sometimes they're, they're in a story as a little cameo, and sometimes the story is about that mini. You know, it must be so fun for you with an imagination like you have to go to Martin's, the sale, and look at all these carriages, because every carriage must have this, like, backstory that you could you know, imagine I, I writing. I've never been to Martin's, but I have been to like every museum you could think of mm -hmm. um, up and down the East Coast as well as out West. Um, I'm still hunting some of the old stagecoaches that are ours, but really the, the ones I totally love are, you know, the London cabbie ones or the really intriguing and ones that you would have to figure out how to put together put you know put the hitch on them because they're so unusual do you think was that parking, difficult oh do you go think ahead parking Sorry. in the carriages was a thing before cars I think parking them. I think everything. Okay, sorry. I mean, you read these things. They're running over people in the streets. You know, they're bolting away from trains. You know, yeah, they weren't any easier back in the day. Glenn's having a bad day. <laughs> when you were when you were doing this research, um, did you ever did you ever like? get stuck on some places it must be hard to find all the details that you need when you trace back with these stories actually you know I, I didn't mostly start with the story and try to find details to fit a lot of times I'd already been to a museum or I had pictures of a card or whatever it was that really intrigued me so I already had a lot of research done before I started different stories mm -hmm. and sometimes it's really not that story either sometimes it's something that I've seen at a competition I thought Huh, who would have ever guessed? You know, I was out at Lorenzo one year, and there was this um, tiny groom, just this lovely girl who was there with a foreign hand. And I thought, oh, she's just useless as a groom. You know, she's small, and, like, I'm sure she can handle the horses. But they had four horses, and they were trying to put people on the back. And I thought, that was just silly, What you know, put her in that position. But she was in full livery and looked lovely. And, you know, one of the passengers stumbled getting off, and she stepped up like a at a second's notice and, and just like rebalanced the guy who was twice her size and helped him to the ground. And I thought, okay, I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> but you know, that kind of like misinterpretation is great for a story because you mm -hmm. kind of dismiss someone who you don't think could really be a, a danger or effective. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that you can really misread people. And that, that plays into a story quite a lot. And tell us about your main character. So the main character is a middle-aged woman who's a driver um, with no great claims to skill, but with kind of a great family claim, kind of like some of Agatha Christie's characters, to having some special intuition. Mm -hmm. And so she really employs her intuition both of like horse 
um, personality as well as people personality to figure out this one overarching mystery that starts when she's driving up in Arcadia. Oh, so you have some driving in Arcadia? That should be exciting to read about. Yeah, it kicks off up there near a couple of the more um, notable spots. And that's the first big question. starts right in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. So as an author, when you're driving around Arcadia yourself, I mean, are you just so overwhelmed by the beauty of that whole scene that that just inspires you to write? You know, when I first went up there, it was on a motorcycle. Oh, really? Um, and so we were touring like the coastal ways. And so mostly I'm, I really just, I love the whole place and the mm-hmm. whole, you know, I look out over like Thunder Hole or places like that that are famous for everybody that everyone kind of knows. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I want to call attention to so that people kind of place themselves on scene. So I ask this of every writer that we've ever had on, and that is, what's your style? I know some people get up first thing in the morning. Some people only can write when the inspiration is there. So what's your thing? I'm definitely a morning soul, and I probably do the best for the first couple of hours any morning. Um, And I have a super good um, partner in crime who edits mine and I edit hers. And so... That kind of work, that sort of drudgery, (laughs) happens late in the evening when you're just poking around looking for comments. But if you're looking for creative stuff, it's pretty much right after I wake up. Got it. Okay. It's weird. Most people say that? No. You know, it's been different for everybody. Some people, it's the middle of the night. It's just been different for everybody. And some people can't do it. They, They have a week, you know, where everything comes to them in a week. And that's when they're all the ideas come, and they st- and then they write it all down, all the ideas, and then they flush it out later on. But wow. the, and then the, you know, with Lisa Wysocki, who's one of the authors that she actually co-hosts this show sometimes. With her, the characters actually speak to her, and she has to wait till they speak to her. So for her, they're they're, they're like real things, and they speak to her. Um, so it was interesting. She she has included horses in the morning in, in the last three of her books, and she's writing her next one. And she actually contacted us and said, "I think your co-host has a much bigger part in the next book." That's what I've been told. <laughs> so, oh. and it was like we and she had to ask our permission to do it. Um, so it's interesting. The authors all work differently. I hope yeah. you make it, Glenn. I hope you don't. Get I know killed. that's what I was worried about. Because <laughs> she does write no murders, and here. there are some days Jamie wants to kill me. So uh, yes, I was a little yeah. concerned. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm I'm often jealous of your job. You know, I I loved your the the whole wig coverage. Oh yeah, that was fun. Um, that that whole little window. Honestly, like I've been sort of a fan of Mary Ruth Marks forever. So that sort of in depth bio on her horses was super. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you'd so want to kind of steal that for some sort of story, you know. <laughs> but but honestly, what could be better than the truth in that case, you know? There's a few people like that where, you know, someone should just be hunting them down and writing their bio. <laughs> Very true. So, um, Nancy, where can people find your book? It's on Amazon. It's published by Amazon. It is hard copy or Kindle, but it is the only place to get it. All right, and it's called Near Wheeler Killer yep. Carriage Collection. What a great gift! What it. a great stocking stuffer for everybody. It's like ten bucks. It's it's not expensive at all. Yeah. And fun. Yeah, great. 
Well, thank you very well, thank much. You this very has been fun. Much. Now I can't wait to, to read it. Wendy, you. put that in my list for your your. Okay. okay, it's in your stocking. All right, good. And the next one is called the Squeaky Wheel. Oh, perfect! Cool. Well, you know, if a little Asian driver happens to show up, we'll know. Well, <laughs> I hope there's a fluffy white mind. dog in there. <laughs> fluffy white dog. <laughs> <laughs> fluffy white dog and a murder at a radio show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might kick off something. <laughs> well, you know, if you write us in, it we're going to be advertising the hell out of it. So. Uh, <laughs> what do you think Lisa puts us in there? <laughs> All right. Thanks, fun. Nancy. <laughs> Have a great day. And now it's time for the traditional Chinese medicine segment we do on the show every month. And what do we have this month, Wendy? I have a special treat for you for the traditional Chinese veterinary medicine segment. Um, I was down at Qi Institute for our um, international acupuncture conference. And one of my dear friends, Rosemary Gerber, who is a vet from uh, South Africa, she actually teaches equine medicine in South Africa. She um, is going to tell us all about the evolution of the horse because she teaches a wonderful course about the evolution of the horse over time. And, um, she's all, she also teaches anatomy. She's an anatomy professor. So she goes into all the little things you've ever wanted to know about your horse's feet. I'm here with Rosemary Gerber. She's a horse veterinarian from South Africa, and she's going to tell us all about the evolution of the horse. Hey, Rosemary, it's great to see you. Likewise, Wendy. I had a great time with you down in Sarasota. Oh, thank you so much. So we had so much fun at this Chi International Conference. It's really been great to get together Mm -hmm. and talk about acupuncture, equine medicine. So you have a quite an extensive background on equine medicine. Tell us a little bit about your history. Just on Western medicine so far. Um, I'm originally from Switzerland. I have been in private practice there for a few years after graduation and then for eight years at the university clinic in internal equine medicine as a senior lecturer and then we left for South Africa for originally three years mm-hmm. and that was 25 years ago and we are still there. Oh my God. And your husband's a vet also, yes, right? Yes, he's a reproductive specialist and um, we both have worked for the first about 15 years at at the university mm-hmm. in order support and then we left sort of for private endeavors. Mm-hmm. My husband has a pharmacological um, business at the moment and I turned to the dark side like yeah. my friends <laughs> and I only graduated uh, at G Institute a year, uh, two months ago actually uh-huh. and here I am. <laughs> Very exciting. So um, besides your uh, interest in equine medicine, you also teach a course on the history and evolution of uh, horses, yeah. right? So that's a... Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, like how you got interested in that? It's actually a, a course in equine science. Mm-hmm. It's a four-year uh, diploma course. And um, the evolution and domestication of the horse is a part of this course, a very mm-hmm. excited part. Not everybody is interested, but I'm But interested. all us horse girls are interested in that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm very interested in history in any case, but especially in horse history. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, tell us a little bit, maybe summarize your course. Where does it start? Just the evolution, or now the whole equine science course. No, the, the evolution, evolution. It starts more than 50 million years mm -hmm. ago, which is actually very, very early for mm -hmm. um, domestic animals. One of the earliest. The chicken is also very early. Oh, really? Yeah. But humans got going much, much later. Mm -hmm. So only about three to only three, two million years ago. And the horse started, started to evolve in 55 million years ago. So they were still dinosaurs around. Yeah, yeah they right? were. They were. Mm -hmm. They were. Uh, what, did the, what did the first horse look like? Like the first ancestor? It actually was, I like the name, it's called Eohippus. Mm -hmm. And Eo means, Eos in Greek means dawn. So it's oh. the dawn of the little oh, horse. Oh, dawn of the yeah. little horse. That's yeah. so cute. Yeah, it's very pretty. Mm -hmm. And it was about fox-sized. Mm -hmm. And it also was moving like a fox, the leg. It was still walking on footpads. Uh -huh. It had uh, four toes in front, three toes in the back. Oh, really? It had a short face. Mm -hmm. It had the eyes in front because little Eohippos was hiding mm -hmm. in the forest. It probably was hiding from the dinosaurs. Right, right. <laughs> but it lived in the forest and it was eating leaves. No grass. Oh, eating yet. leaves. Eating leaves. And how can you tell that it ate leaves from the skeleton? Um, firstly, all the, all what we know is from fossils mm -hmm. and uh, geological leftovers in the different um, levers and we mainly, the, the diet we mainly can reconstruct from the teeth. Mm -hmm. So the teeth were much more simple than today's teeth, not all the grooves and right. the layers and crannies, of an yeah, shorter. And um, later on, over millions of years, little Eohippus came out of the woods, started from or changed from um, hiding to running, mm -hmm. grew longer legs, straighter legs, the roach back uh, stretched and most fascinating for me is also the shape of the face. The head got longer, the brain got bigger and the eyes moved to the side mm -hmm. because the little or the not so little horse anymore had to see to the horizon. Uh -huh. It had to see the predators moving in right. and when it's time to run. And um, was that still called the Aohippus? No, it changed ma uh, names a lot of times. Mm -hmm. There was Merichippus, there was Pliohippus, Oligohippus, mm -hmm. Pleiohippus. And um, the, the names were sort of according to the eras, to the times, oh, okay. to the geological yeah. eras. Yeah. And so with the eyes on the side... Uh, you talk about being able to see predators. Yeah. Was it better peripheral vision or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the predators, they may have come from almost from the back. You know, that today's horses have a circumference of about 330 degrees. They mm -hmm. just have a blind spot over the group and then a blind spot in front of them mm -hmm. that we know from the show jumpers. Yeah. But with one eye, they could see a lion or whatever was approaching. Yeah. Or a, Cougar when it was because we come maybe to the to the areas to the uh -huh. uh, continents where these horses developed yeah. um, from almost behind with mm -hmm. one eye yeah so the um, actually unilateral vision the mono vision was bigger and the bi 
Binocular vision with, with both eyes is just a small angle towards the front. Oh, okay. And um, something that you told me the other day that I thought was really interesting is that I didn't realize that the horse actually evolved in North America. Yes, yes. Unlike humans come from, from Africa, mm -hmm. the horses started existing in North America, um, but then depending the horses or any creature moves according to climate. Mm -hmm. So when it got colder in North America, they moved over the Bering Street, which then was still a land bridge, so mm -hmm. they didn't have to swim for many kilometers. Yeah. And they moved into Eurasia, first to Asia, to the Mongolia, mm -hmm. where we still have the, the oldest, actually, modern horses, which is um, Equus caballus, in Mongolia, which is the Potswalski horse. Mm -hmm. But then they moved on towards Europe, where there was the development of the European forest horse. Mm -hmm. They moved on. Don't ask me how they got on to the, the English <laughs> islands, because on the English islands, um, there was the pony mm -hmm. developing. And then in North uh, Africa, there was the, in Egypt, there was the Arabs. Saudi Arabia, and there was the burbs, the, the lighter blood horses. Yeah. And this developed according to the surrounding, the sand, the hot sand. They had these light little hoofs, mm -hmm. and they were light horses with a big surface compared to the body mass uh -huh. to, for term, uh, thermoregulation, whereas, for example, the European forest horses were these heavy draft horses, oh, these heavy, see. heavy breeds yeah. with the flat, big feet that they didn't sink into the swamps mm -hmm. in the European forest. And they forest. didn't have to move very fast exactly. because they were in the forest. Exactly. So the horses adapted to the clim climate, mm -hmm. to the altitude, to the feed available, mm -hmm. and to the temperature. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So you don't know what happened, how the ponies became? Because... Um, they were probably the bratty ones swam over to that island and that's how they the, became ponies. The only thing that I can imagine is swimming. I'm not good enough in the geological. We all know that some continents or some islands were breaking off like Madagascar mm -hmm. broke off from um, um, Africa. But I'm not sure when when Great Britain actually moved away from Europe. Yeah. So it's possible that there were still land bridges in this area. Oh, yeah. So nice. that they just could walk over, like, over the Bering mm -hmm. Road Street. And then um, when did they start to be domesticated? That was about 3,500, 4,000 years ago. And that was in the area, a lot of, of uh, areas compete. We have domesticated the horse. We have uh -huh. done it. But most likely it's, bit, uh, it's between the uh, Black and the Caspian Sea, mm -hmm. which is today's Ukraine. Oh, okay. In, the, in Mesopotamia, between Euphrates and Tigris, mm -hmm. in that biblical uh, area, yeah. actually, where people first... We all know these sad stories that they first had horses for meat. Right. And they chased them over through a, a um, canyon over the rocks. Yeah. And later on, they realized it's actually, even if it's big, it's a very kind animal. Mm -hmm. We can hurt them into paddocks, and but still for meat consumption. Mm -hmm. And then they realized 
After the meat consumption, they realized they can do more with horses. And the next idea was to have them as draft animals. Mm -hmm. So they were pulling, I suppose, logs, right. wood, and starting on the fields because these people were not um, hunters and gatherers anymore. They mm -hmm. were settlers now. Mm -hmm. So they were localized. Oh, I see. So they started uh -huh. um, to build towns. Crop. Uh -huh. Yeah, and they they had crop, and the horses first were working in mm -hmm. agriculture, and then they realized we can ride them, mm -hmm. and that actually increased the movement of people for exploration and also for war. Oh, yeah, because now they, go they are faster, mm -hmm. and obviously a rider is superior to a person on foot mm -hmm. so all the alexanders the great and all the right. um, explorers also uh, speaking of explorers that was actually how the horses got back finally to america where they died out before because mm -hmm. of the cold climate mm -hmm. and only in um 15 1600 with the spanish and portuguese conquistadores columbus one of the first right. they came back to to north America. And there's a lot of um, Spanish blood in some of the Irish horses too, yeah. right? Because of the same thing. Yeah. They traveled yeah, exactly. that way. Yeah. And the original, actually the original three or four or even five breeds, or not breeds because we didn't breed then, mm -hmm. but um, primitive types of horses which developed by themselves without human influence was the heavy European horse, the draft horse, yeah. the light-blooded uh, Arabian, then the ponies in England, mm -hmm. and the Mongolian horses, the, yeah. the Potswalski, which doesn't have a big influence on our today's breed. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, the Arabs, yeah. being uh, Godolphin Bob, uh, Dali Arabian, and Bayerli Turk, were the three stallions going to England and starting the thoroughbred. Mm -hmm. So the thoroughbred was actually a mixture of the heavy-blooded and the light-blooded Arab horses. Mm -hmm. And then all the saddlebreds and all the American breeds were different mixtures of the light-blooded, the draft horses and the ponies. Okay. Which yeah. influenced a little, um, the movement. And, yeah. Yeah. And so how do you think they, um, how did the pacing breeds evolve? You know, like the gated breeds. Yeah. That would be your Tennessee walker, your American settlers. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of Arab in them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, there is actually natural breeds even from the pony side from the, um, I think, hackney ponies uh -huh. in England. They also can be five gators. Mm -hmm. So there is in most of those breeds, not in the draft breeds, but right. in mo most of these natural developing types of horses, there is the possibility for, for five gators. And the, Even so in South Africa, we have oh, the, really? the Neutgedacht, the Boerpert, mm -hmm. the, the original uh, horse coming from the Dutch mm -hmm. um Colonies, which uh, where there are breeds with with five gates. So tell us a little bit about the um, the horses in South Africa. The horses only came in sixteen fifty something to Southern Africa mm -hmm. through the Dutch Jan okay. van Riebeck, mm -hmm. which um, landed at the du Dutch Cape Colony. 
and then moved up towards the north with the horses that they brought. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, most of these horses were dying because of African horse sickness, oh. which is actually... Um, it's l like malaria in humans. Mm -hmm. It's not, not the same type, but the Europeans, which moved to South um, Africa and moved up towards the north, they, there were many, many losses in humans from malaria. Mm -hmm. And for the horses, it was African horse sickness because it was species, basically, which were completely naive. Right. They didn't have any antibodies. Mm -hmm. So now the horses that have lived in South Africa for many generations, are they more, um, uh, have they adapted to be better about that? One or? would have wished yeah. the donkeys and the zebras. The zebras also are positive for African horse sickness. They don't die. They don't even get oh, really? um, uh, sick. Yeah. Because this is the indigenous population. Mm -hmm. But the horses still now, every year we have hundreds and hundreds of horses which mm -hmm. die, yeah. even with vaccination right. from African horse sickness. Mm -hmm. And the most sensitive, obviously, are the imported horses right. from Europe, the right. European warmbloods, oh, or yeah. the thoroughbreds, mm -hmm. um, which have a big chance to get yeah. sick. So, okay, I have to ask you, um, what did you think when you first saw zebras in your yard when you lived in <laughs> South Africa? <laughs> we had a neighbor, she said, zebras are coming sometimes to her house. And I thought, yeah, yeah, wishful <laughs> thinking, and it's a tourist, right. whatever. And then uh, they didn't just suddenly pitch up at, at my door, but we saw them in the area. And because we started irrigating around the house, because in South Africa mm -hmm. in summer, uh, in winter, we have about seven months, no rain. Oh, okay. So in the bush, everything is really dry. Mm -hmm. But as um, Roselle said in her talk, zebras are always fat. So in the middle of <laughs> winter, when there is no grass, they are round. Fat. Really? Yeah. And they seem to find something nice mm -hmm. all the time. And because now we have green grass around the house, yeah. we have sometimes up to 15 zebras. And it's wild zebras. It's not our zebras. Right. They just come and, That's so great. and enjoy the grass. And how did they evolve from the... Uh, did, did they co-evolve with horses? Or did they break off at some point? The interesting thing is... The evolution of the equids. Equids is horses, zebras, and donkeys. Mm -hmm. And they all started with little eohippus. Mm -hmm. But then I imagine it's like a huge oak tree that you have in Ocala. Mm -hmm. It has hundreds or thousands of branches. Right. And a lot of these branches do the wrong thing in evolution. They mm -hmm. don't know yet because they may do good for a while, but they die. And there was hun hundreds of other, some of them don't have names, right. but development stages that one could find in geological layers, but they didn't make it because they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And only three equids, which is the zebras, the donkeys, the um, 
African donkey and the Asian donkey, which is quite different. The Asian donkey you can't work with. Oh, really? No. They're bratty? No. They're super yeah. bratty? Yeah. They must be... Like zebra. Yeah. You can't work with the zebra. There yeah. is a few exceptions. Yeah. But the average zebra is quite aggressive. Oh, and really? not scared of anything. They attack our dogs. <laughs> and they don't walk away anymore when yeah. I go outside hanging the laundry. Right. So I'm quite wary of them. But... um they belonged to those branches which some, somehow made it parallel mm -hmm. to our Equus Caballus, oh, that's great. our real horse. What do you see, like, now that you've known all this, right, what do you see, like, if you could see into the future, like a thousand years, what do you think the horse would evolve to? If It depends if the humans are still around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If yeah. there were no humans, what yeah. do you think would happen? Because humans have done so much harm to, to quite a few breeds mm -hmm. because they just select for the wrong characteristics. If I look at the Arabs, at the faces, at these dished faces these days, when I look at fall pictures, these foals can hardly breathe. Right. They have a complete compressed septum. Mm -hmm. And probably I expect when people would leave them alone, um, they would, there would again be a selection of the fittest, of the healthiest, mm -hmm. and all these extreme selection criteria would yeah. sort themselves out uh -huh. by nature. Yeah. And then next to it, it obviously depends on the, the climate. Mm -hmm. So with climate change, with global heating, um, warming, probably the draft breeds will not do well. The mm -hmm. heavy, I see it when they import, um, European warm bloods to South Africa, they don't do well. Yeah, or it's like in Florida, a hundred percent of Frisians stop sweating exactly, in Florida. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. A, a black-coated uh, horse shouldn't live in a hot, humid climate. Right. So I think nature would sort out, depending on what the climate does, right. and also what obviously uh, related to it, what the water levels would do, um, mm -hmm. nature would sort out. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rosemary. I could talk about this forever. It's so I, fascinating. Me too. I'm, I'm just so, and there is a lot of, of things in the horse yeah. world, not just riding and competing. There is a I lot know. about these animals that we are all crazy well, about. Well, you're going to have to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> all right. Great. Okay. We're going to talk about the evolution of the horse's foot. Okay. So I forgot to ask you, um, how do the, Aohippus go from walking on a foot pad with many toes to what we have now where the horse just walks on its, um, you know, one foot. The development of the feet actually goes parallel or it's the other way around to the naming mm -hmm. because in certain layers they found uh, little Aohippus were still uh, in the front feet three, tone four, toenails touch the ground mm -hmm. and in the hind foot uh, three toenails touch the ground and later on in the next three development stages the two 
the medial and the lateral toe is lifting from the ground. Oh. But at the beginning, they still had their little fingernails. Mm -hmm. They still had their little hoofs. But they just didn't touch the ground. Exactly. Oh, that's cute. And the, the whole leg got straighter compared to the dog's leg. Mm -hmm. And the horse lifted itself off the footpads. Actually, the ergot and the chestnut mm -hmm. are leftovers from those footpads. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the ergot is the footpad. What is one? Uh, in, in, remember the the carnivore has two foot pads, mm -hmm. and the chestnut is the other leftover. Oh, from, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, and then the little second, uh, basically second toe and fourth toe lost the digit, mm -hmm. and what we have now is just the metacarpus and the metatarsus, As a which is exactly yeah. which is the leftovers from the more medial and the more lateral toe, which is not there anymore. Do you think they evolve like that? Because, um, you know, the way horses run, it's kind of like a, like a lever system. They're long legs. They, like, did it help them to only have one toe rather than many toes? I have asked myself the same thing because remember the antelopes, which oh, are yeah. really, really fast. Yeah. They are ungulates. Yeah. And the horse is actually, um, a ho, a odd toed animal. And the only other odd toed animal is the tapir, which oh, has yeah. three toes. Yeah. And then the rhino. How many toes? The rhinoceros, which also has three. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's odd numbers and the antelope ha has has even uh, two, yeah okay has two toes oh that's a, yeah that's so interesting and antelopes are so fast yeah. and so that's why with the speed I'm I'm not a, uh, completely sure mm -hmm. why why the horse developed into one toe oh that's so yeah. interesting yeah well thank you again that was yeah. so great. <laughs> Well, you heard those sleigh bells. That's because Kathleen from the CAA, the Carriage Association of America, is here to talk about sleighs. Hi, Kathleen. Hi. You were at the Lebanon Horse Carriage Parade. What's it called in Ohio? The Lebanon, Ohio Carriage Parade? Yes. How was it? It was. Did you see some nifty rigs? I did. I, I had a chance to uh, look at a 127-year-old um, uh, steam fire pumper that's horse drawn, four abreast with uh, pertrons, oh, cool. and it was just a lovely vehicle. Uh, we did get a chance to talk to Jack, the owner, briefly, and um, we have that video uh, live streamed it on our Facebook page. So if you'd like to go back and look at it, it was on Saturday, and uh, that video is available. Yes, I can't imagine the amount of cleaning that he did on that brass. It was just amazing, and, and he did a fantastic restoration job on it. Well, all right. What are we, so we're talking about sleighs this month. Yes, we're going to be talking about the two most popular sleighs in America, the Portland Cutter and the Albany Sleigh. Okay. Now, do you want to guess where the Albany Sleigh might have been created? Um, Los Angeles. Albany. Yes, Albany, New York. Wrong, Glenn. <laughs> One zero for me. <laughs> so the Albany Cutter is what most people think of. It's the more showy vehicle, and it tends to have really nice, beautiful colors with lots of um, 
detail work on it. And I have to say for, for many people, they may know it like as a Cordine sleigh or uh, a Gould sleigh. Uh, there's quite a few different names for it, but basically what we're looking for is the swell body, which um, curves the two people towards each other. And it's uh, the one you see in all the romantic things. Yes, or the Budweiser <laughs> ad. <laughs> um, and it's basically known for uh, the symmetry and beauty of the outline. And uh, they're just really elegant looking. Uh, they used to actually make one called the Nautilus Cutter, and it looks like a seashell almost as far as the lines of it go. And um, in August of 1870, in the Coach Makers International Journal, uh, it says, you need nothing more than beautiful snow to sell it. <laughs> and uh, so they're really in it for the beauty. Um, now with the Portland or the Kimball Cutter, uh, that's a little bit plainer, and it was much more practical. Uh, that's the darker colors. Uh, they were started in 1817, and they were also in a snow state. Any any guesses as to where that might be from Portland? Maine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Peter Good Kimball. Job. Yeah. Peter Kimball was uh, in Hamlin's Gore, Maine. And uh, it was really his sons uh, that really let care, uh, the sleigh evolve, and it became a little lighter than his uh, Peter had it. But uh, they eventually formed a partnership with Brewster and Company, who was the premier carriage maker of the time. And then they became PC Kimball and Company, which is uh, a famous sleigh maker. And uh, so many of the vehicles that you see. Uh, that are a Portland cutter, which are the straighter backed sleighs, are a part of this. And um, both of them are, are great to take out and, and sleigh with. Uh, but uh, particularly if you, you know, like we said, if you're going to do the romantic thing, the Albany is, is the one that you like to see, whereas the Portland cutter, um, which was the more popular and was a little bit cheaper, was the uh, most popular one in America. They made so, it. Why no. did they? Why did they? Um, why did we in in America develop these two different kinds of sleighs versus them just copying like a European design? So that's a really interesting question, and and part of it has to do with our transportation needs. Um, we had roads that were de- we by the time America got going, everybody else had gone through the road process and and the learning curve. And we got to benefit from better roads from the outset. Um, well, it may not necessarily seem like that uh, at times. These were light sleighs. We had better wood. Um, mm-hmm. And we just had better roads, um, particularly in the city. Uh, and they used to have sleigh rallies and, and hundreds of people would show up. Now, when we, when we do talk about sleighs in other countries. I have to tell you, I was reading this fascinating book called Snow Travel and Transportation mm-hmm. by Walter Lorch. And he talks about these Siberians going undertaking journeys of 1,800 miles and more in sledges in the middle oh of winter. God. And I cannot imagine. But here in this country, we just didn't need to travel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do have... Can, what we call Canadian sleighs, which are 
obviously from Canada, but they're they're a little bit hardier. So our lighter American sleighs were like made to just go over the river and through the woods to grandma's house. They were. Um, they weren't meant to transport goods and services the way that um, some of the other vehicles were, particularly these two. Now, if you want to get into the bobs, uh, the bob sleighs and other transportation sleighs, that's a whole different uh, realm. But the bob sleighs are the ones where if you go to, let's say, Montana or Colorado and you go out, they're usually pulled by drafts uh, or a heavier breed. Mm-hmm. And they're, the runners on them are not one continual item. Uh, they're split into two. And that's what makes them a bob. I think oh, I that see. that is also what makes them a, sleigh, a sled instead of a sleigh. Oh, okay. Hmm. And are these little sleighs always pulled by a single, or do they have pair sleighs? They can go up to a four in hand. Um, in Boston, they, or excuse me, these little ones are singles, and mm-hmm. sometimes they even had them for ponies. However, they did have very elegant versions of sleighs that went up to four in hands. And they actually, in Boston, had something called a booby hut uh, that uh, they actually sold one at Martin's this last time. And uh, they were considered the most elegant of elegant transportation. Okay. Booby hut. Not that sounds that. like a strip joint. Yeah, do not Google Alabama. that. I just. <laughs> <laughs> you won't you find what. Did you I didn't Google find booby any sleighs. <laughs> yes. Oh, you my have God. To be careful about how you. <laughs> You know what I did find? Um, Yesterday, it's so funny you're talking about the Portland Cutter sleigh. Yesterday, and I remember seeing one of these at Martin's like 20 years ago, they made a line of coffee tables that look exactly like the Portland Cutter sleighs. And one came across my Facebook feed, and it's on a a website called VintageWinter.com. It looks exactly like a, a, but it's a coffee table. It looks exactly like a sleigh. I need that. It's made of uh, Canadian ash wood, um, and they were made in limited quantities. This one is selling for $1,500. My gosh. (laughs) Yes. You could probably buy the sleighs cheaper. It's like... Speaking of which, how much do these run? If somebody wants to buy one, what are they going to pay? Well, it depends on how fancy you want to get. Uh, they can start down, you know, really inexpensive and go up to five, six thousand dollars um, pretty quickly. It's a it's pretty wide range, and then you will see people that, um, you know, decide to skip the sleigh altogether and and uh, go out with a, a sled. Or in some cases, you may have seen the video of the kayak. Um, being pulled by a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and that type of thing is, is a lot of fun. Um, you just, same thing that you do with everything else. You just need to make sure you have your safety. Um, but uh, when you're slaying or going out there and, and just having fun, you do want to keep your helmet on. That's the same as you do with uh, regular driving. Slaying is a lot of fun. But if you tip out and you happen to hit frozen manure... Ouch. It's not good. <laughs> now, um, the other thing is, could these be in two and four or two and four seaters also? Yes, they did. Um, they came in actually up to they would seat six, um, and you if you see the bobs, um, they'll they'll seat twenty people, mm-hmm. um, and they're pulled by you know four in hand of draft horses. The more people you pull, the bigger your horses get, or the more quantity of horses that you need. Um, and it also depends on your snow. 
you really want good um, skiing or uh, cross-country snowshoeing snow to get a really nice sleigh ride. Um, and when you have that nice snow and it's packed and it and it's just as your sleigh goes over it, just whistling, that's tremendous amount of fun. Um, it, it really is. But you, if you get the really wet, heavy snow, it takes a, your, a lot of work on the part of your horse to uh, get you where you're going. It's not quite as much fun. Very good. I wanted to remind everybody, if you go to drivingradioshow.com and look for episode 75, it's called The Music of Winter. We had Barry Dickinson on, who has the biggest collection of sleigh bells of anybody we know and knows everything about them. Uh, he came on and actually did a whole sleigh bell thing with us and uh, played the sleigh bells, talked about which were used for what and why they were used in the first place. It was one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever done of the Driving Radio Show. So that's Driving Radio Show episode 75. You would have to listen uh use a listen button on our website to even listen find it so but go take a listen to that where can people find you caaonline.com is our website and we also have a facebook page under carriage association of america and then we'll be in florida in january and we'll be in germantown tennessee in uh september and is there anything they can get from you for uh holiday gifts we do. Among other things, we have a book on horse-drawn sleighs by Susan Green. Uh, we also have a variety of scarves, both winter and um, carriage driving scarves uh, that are available. And uh, lots of lots of great things to have for the holidays. Very good. Thank you so much, Kathleen. This is always fascinating. Well, Wendy, I just got word from our next guest, uh, Desiree, that she had a bit of emergency as she was here to talk about the Carriage Association of America annual meeting. We should have talked to Kathleen about it, uh, uh-huh. uh, but uh, she she can't make it this morning. Now, you happen to know about it because it's in your backyard. So what's the scoop? That's right. Um, this year, for 2019, we are having the Carriage Association of America Learning Weekend in Sarasota, Florida. And that will be, um, like I said, the 24th through the 26th of January, 2019. And uh, Sarasota is really central to Florida. You can fly in uh, to Tampa or we have a little airport right here in Sarasota. And the, uh, the host hotel is just one mile from our Sarasota airport. It's really easy to get around. Plus, our weather down here is fabulous. Our weather is usually in the 70s all uh, January. And the meeting should be really fun. If anybody's been to these CAA meetings in the past, you'll know how great it is. The CAA, the Carriage Association of America, is about driving, but it also has a lot of members that are interested in carriages and the history of carriages. So one of the reasons why they're having this meeting down here in Sarasota is to see Mr. Cuneo's um, fabulous carriage collection. And Mr. Cuneo owns Prospect Stables, where Desiree Herman uh, was is the head trainer. And he actually has a background in the circus, so... Uh, Does he have circus wagons? He doesn't have circus wagons, but he's a super fun guy. Um, So we get to see the prospect stables. And if you want to see circus wagons, there's going to be a time where we go to the Ringling Museum, uh, which is right on the Sarasota Bay. It's actually a really beautiful 
beautiful um, grounds. There's an art museum there. And then there's also a circus museum. And we have done the driving radio show actually from the Ringling Museum. Um, there's, uh, I know Jennifer loved the the rail car. Remember yes. Mr. Ringling? Yeah, but okay. she's a good she and by the way if you want to find that you can go back to drivingradioshow.com episode 104 uh it was called two-year anniversary show goes to the circus we had so much fun there we recorded the whole show there. oh yeah it was so much so fun. The, yeah so the, they're gonna spend the saturday afternoon there there's also the miniature remember the this the railroad miniature circus yeah they had the coolest miniature display there. It was so cool, like a little train display. It was so neat. Ugh, it was huge I too. I mean, huge. <laughs> yeah, it's giant. You and, and everything is like to the most incredible detail. Uh, and then there's all kinds of uh, circus wagons there. The Calliope. Uh, plus there's all these carriage enthusiasts that you're walking around with and they can tell you all kinds of like super cool things like Barry is going to be down here, which I'm excited about. Uh, Barry so, Dickinson. It's always fun when Barry's there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there, there's lots of things we're going to talk about too. So Desiree Herman will be talking about her life with horses because she has done, not only does she do the carriage driving, but she used to do um, tours with the Royal Lipizzans. She's done Arabian Nights and all the King's Horses. She does Liberty Training. She's uh, really has had an adventurous horse past. Um, also, we're going to have a celebration party for the winners uh, for the for the the World Equestrian Games gold medal winners. Yeah, yeah, should. you should be on have Thursday that Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, because Mizzy Wrigley lives right here in Sarasota, and I see she's going to be talking too. Yeah, Misty. you know, and Misty, uh, besides the gold medal and her combined driving, she also is a world champion in the saddlebred breed, uh, but also her whole life, she's a many-generation uh, horse person. You know, her mother was a, a horse person, and she has done so much, so many interesting things. Her carriage collection in Kentucky is incredible. Uh, she, you know, also coaching, she's a fabulous uh, coach person. So I can't wait to see her pictures from her talk. Um, then we'll also have, uh, uh, some talks. Ken Wheeling's going to talk about bandwagons and about circus wagons. Glenn. I love that. Uh, I see that on here. That looks fun. Yeah. And then Carl Casper will talk about, um, uh, carriage restoration. Because a lot of the members of the CAA uh, do shows, carriage shows, where they uh, do not just full-size carriages, but also miniatures and toys. And they, they compete all over the country. And then I will be talking about uh, horse behavior and Chinese medicine and how, can that, how that can help with your training. Wow, look at you. Yay. This looks yeah. like a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> it really does. Well, you know what's good, really fun about the Carriage Association of America is when they go somewhere for a meeting i mean you learn a lot but there's a lot of fun things they like to go have fun so sarasota is perfect for that because there's tons of hotels down here also if you say your significant other doesn't want to hear about the carriages there's so much to do in sarasota they can go fishing you can go out in the boat there's like you know you can go paris gliding you can go riding there's uh like just the other day, some friends of mine, we all went up to uh, St. Pete, which is about a 30-minute drive. And we actually went with Desiree's cousin 
Carmen, she takes you horseback riding in the ocean, swimming with gypsy vanners. There you go. I mean, you can't get any more fun than that. (laughs) Nope, you can't get more fun than that. You know, I think this looks like a lot of fun. To find out how to sign up, do you, you, I assume you need to be a member of the association? Um, you, well, you should join. Yes, you should join. And, and you but if, you, if you're not a member, I'm sure that you can join on the day. And it's caaonline.com. And there's a whole thing about the, about the show, about the event in Sarasota. It does look like a whole lot of fun. Sarasota is a fun, if we were to move any place out of Ocala in Florida, I'd move to Sarasota, not just because you're there, but be, partly it, I know because it's, it's such a great hidden secret. It really is. And it's more, it feels more upscale than like Ocala feels like a whole bunch of old people retired here and there happens to be horses. Uh, yeah. You, there, it feels like kind of an upscale progressive city that happens to have horses. Um, yeah. You know, and plus the beaches are just the most beautiful in the world. So there's that. <laughs> and, and also, what, yeah, the beaches are awesome. <laughs> yeah. But also, one of the things that's really cool about Sarasota is that, um, we have all kinds of like protected natural area, like I was talking about earlier. And that all was purchased with tax money um, by the community. But because they purchased that land with tax money, they are required to keep that open for public access. So we have a re- really strong lobby of trail advocates that help with maintaining the trails and make sure that those trails are kept open. So we have like a hundred miles of groomed trails that is owned by Sarasota County. That's, you know, available for riding, uh, mountain biking, walking. We're so lucky down here. And and the nice part about that is you have built in obstacles in the thousand alligators that will greet you along your way. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes, that's true. (laughs) There are some places we are working on raising some money you for know, a bridge. They don't usually go after horses, though. They're too big for them. They they like. No, but there is one area that's a water crossing, yeah. and my horses are never afraid to cross water. But like this water, they won't get within a hundred <laughs> feet of this water. <laughs> too many gators. <laughs> They're smart. All right, thank you. That and so, and we have enjoyed working with the CAA for many years along the way, ever since yeah. we started the show. And Kathleen comes on and gives her time every every month to do that, and we really appreciate that. Okay, so we're so lucky to have third generation standard red racer Dwayne Pash um, joining us from Ringo's, New Jersey. And Dwayne became hooked on carriage driving in 2004, and he's been training and competing ever since. This year, he won the American Driving Society North American Intermediate Single Horse Championships with his horse, Scooter. Welcome, Dwayne. Hey, Wendy. How are you? Well, I'm great. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Glenn has a horse, a pony scooter, who's like very famous in our... That's right. Oh, old scooters are, aren't they? That's right. I agree. Now, did you get his name from the Muppets? That's where I got scooters. The... No, no, no. The uh, breeder named him, actually. Uh, Alona English. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what breed is he? What breed is Scooter? Uh, uh, he's a German sport horse. Yeah. He was supposed to be a pony, but he grew a bit big. That was all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. That's the perfect size yeah. for combined driving. That's, you know, I think they're uh, so handy. Uh, yeah, very handy. Like, he's very handy in the hazards and that. Like, uh, 
most of you know up in the last couple of shows there he sort of won the marathon by about 20 points each show so um okay. yeah he is is very handy in the hazards and uh and that but they've still got that nice uh um they sort of go like a like a warm blood really mm-hmm. um but you know and um they're pretty good pretty handy to have around so how did uh how long have you had scooter have you had him since he was a little baby yeah, I broke him uh, to drive as a three-year-old, and I broke him in like in November. Uh, was it November? Yeah, it was November. Sorry, no, in June. And then um, I uh, broke him then and got him going for about three months, uh, maybe four. And then he went to Ryan Woods, who does uh, eventing, and Ryan mm-hmm. um, backed him and uh over the winter down in aiken and then he came i got him back off ryan probably like three days before uh um elk creek and um we put a carriage on him and um the next day brian brian's base down in sort of elk creek area so where i picked him up on the way to the show put a carriage on him and then we uh showed him in that show and he actually won that show Oh, wow! This, this, is, this is like four months after being out of the carriage and just been ridden. Like uh, he, he's 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 beautiful horse. Like he's he's very versatile. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you can yeah do whatever you want with him, really. Yeah. And so, flash forward this year, you won the American Driving Society's North American Championship at the intermediate level, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he won it won it last year, and he also won it again this year. Um, and uh, it was a good event. Uh, Jennifer Madison, she always puts on a good event down there at uh, Katie did, and mm-hmm. uh, nice town, good good show. And uh, um, yeah, it was it was pretty exciting, really. Like um, I think we're third after Dressage, and then um, we happened to win the marathon. And um, and then uh, I think we had one ball down in cones, so it was uh, pretty good. You know this uh, the this ADS program, the awards program for the national championships. I think are so fun that they have these now because we didn't always have these in the past, and before we just had national championships at the FEI level. So um, how how has this program been working out for you? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I think it's really good. It's really good for. Uh, the breeders, the owners and that, and, um, you know, to bring like young horses along and it gives you a bit of a goal each year, um, with the young horses to, um, you know, to aim for each year. And, um, we've been, uh, I've been lucky enough to win it, I think three times now with us, the prelim or intermediate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's great for young horses to bring them along as they come up through the grades. So this head to head championship is pretty fun, you know, uh, so you can kind of see where you end up, uh, at the end of the year, did you show against some of those people throughout the year? Yeah, some of them I did, and some of them I didn't. Um, um, there's uh, probably like uh, three or four I did, and um, then there's a couple that, um, that that I didn't show against because they're further down south. They live further down south where I'm up north. Right. Um, but then that was the same last year. Like there was a lot that I did com- compete against all year because the, they had the competition. Uh, they move it round each year, so it's in different mm-hmm. different um, spots each year. 
which yeah. is um, which is a good idea. That's great. And, but the, also with having the championships, it kind of makes you drive a little bit farther, you know, like you think, oh, well, it'd be worth it to go to the head to head championships. Right. That's right. That's right. No, definitely right. Um, if I hadn't been, a ch- you know, I, I've been down to Katie did a couple of times, but I haven't been down like four or five years. And, um, it was just the fact they had the championship on. That was the reason I went down there. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, now, Dwayne, uh, you train horses up in New Jersey, right? Dri- driving horses? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so uh, you have to... Now, I've known you since you started combined driving, and I am a big fan of yours, and I, I think your training is really fantastic. But you have to tell us a little bit about the very first horse that you drove, because it's kind of an unconventional breed. Yeah, he was a Missouri Fox Trotter. Um, which is, um, uh, he's a gated, they're known as being a gated horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, when I, I, I went to a competition in New Jersey, saw the, saw the sport and sort of, we went back and broke him to drive and, and competed him. Um, he was, uh, he was, um, d- difficult, um, like uh, he was good when you could keep him at like a forty meter circle, but then if once you get down into like a twenty meter circle, he'd always switch over to that uh, the 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 fox trot as they call it, yeah. and um, <laughs> and you'd always lose points and dressage and things like that. What, they didn't like that game. Um, <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't appreciate it too much. But the thing was. He was very good in the marathon because he could make those tight turns and switch into that 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 fox trot and get good get good at impulsion like coming out of the hazards and going around tight corners and things like that. So it helped you on one aspect, but not in the other sort of thing. Yeah, I remember that when you yeah. brought that horse out, and you were yeah. like such an underdog because you know everybody's like a fox, a Missouri yeah. fox trotter, and then. You know, I'm bad at dressage too, which is, you know, everybody knows that. So we'd be like way down in the back, but then we're like, okay, we have two phases. We can make it up. And Dwayne, you were so fast on marathon, Glenn. You w- would not believe this horse was, was he a horse or a pony? Was he it- was a horse. Yeah, he was a, was a horse. And yeah. he smoked yeah. the marathon. Yeah, no, he was very good in marathon. Well, he's probably good, good at cones cone. too, because they're, they're handy yeah. in, they're in tight turns. So he's probably good at cones. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. No, very good in the cones. Yeah. Yeah. No, he taught me a lot, that horse. Like, um, he more or less taught me the, you know, the sport and, you know, where, where, you know, how to, how to, you really had to drive him to learn how to drive him, uh, you know, drive a horse. And, uh, he, he let me, he taught me a lot, that horse and helped me, you know, helped me to where I am today sort of thing. See, if it wasn't yeah, for the damn dressage, you wouldn't have had a problem. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and we're starting to get that, but uh, you know, that that dressage, I don't think anybody ever gets it. It's too boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is so a little Dwayne, bit, but it, So Dwayne, how can people find you if they're looking to uh to come take lessons with you or have their horse trained or get in touch with you? Um Yeah, uh, just um you can either call me or email me, that's the best way. Um, I, my phone number is uh, 732-580-0454, and my email address is uh, d.pash at yahoo.com. So 
If anyone's um, looking for a horse to be trained, it'll be good. Um, also, I'd like to say that Scooter is for sale. So if there's anyone out there looking for, he's you know, he's ready to go. He's He's got both leads in his canter. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he's, uh, you know, ready to move up to the advanced level. So if there's any drivers that they're looking for a horse to go advanced with, um, you know, he's he's ready to go. Yeah, he's definitely proven at winning the prelim and intermediate two years in a row. So he's the. I think that's another great thing about this program is it really helps people like us that bring along horses, um, you know, to kind of show that they have the the ability to go on. So it's great for yeah. our, our sport, and it's great for having schoolmasters. Yeah, for sure, for sure, Wendy. Yeah, no, it. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, it sort of it's a great way to promote them, promote the horse, and promote yourself, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to check into a membership with the American Driving Society, you can go to americandrivingsociety.org for all of their great programs. Well, Wendy, that was a jam-packed show you put together for us today. Well, I like to squeeze as much driving as possible into this show. <laughs> you know, I'm very excited because we're going to be packing up our doggy and our horses and heading like a big, like the Beverly Hillbillies, down to your house uh, over Christmas break and going to be doing some driving down there. Oh, well, I'm glad that I'm from the South because otherwise it would scare me that the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> were coming to my house. That's what we're going to look like where we're pulling in. <laughs> so, yeah, we're we're excited. We're coming down for a couple of days. We're bringing the horses. We're going to do some riding and driving. Jennifer's very excited. So, And you promised us some excellent trails down there in Sarasota. Yeah, I'm glad you're coming down because Sarasota, we are so lucky down here. We have so much uh, natural area that's protected. And in the it's really wet in the summertime. But in the wintertime, it's dry enough that we can actually drive around it. So we're going to have a great time. Now, is uh, the room for the carriage? Yeah, there's okay. room for the carriage yeah. on all our trails. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of room. And also the county is very um, horse friendly. So we do have gates that go into the trails that are locked to keep vehicles out. But you just have to call ahead and they'll open all the gates for you. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know we have yep. it here. Uh, some of the trails here have gates and they have combination locks on them. And people just, you can find out the combination and then you can get in that way right. and then you lock it behind you. So that works yeah. out pretty well here too. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's very, I'm very excited. We haven't been down to your house in a long time, so. I know, it's been a couple of years. Well, we have a new trailer now and, you know, I just put the carriage in the back of the, tr- the cart in the back of the truck. Uh, and mm-hmm. we go that way. We lo- we do look like the Beverly Hillbillies when we're gone. But with the new trailer, we can go places now. It's a little more trustworthy than the old one was. <laughs> and uh, Nigel and, and Scooter are, are ace travelers now. Oh, uh, good. I just hope you have fencing that can hold Scooter in because you know Scooter. He's- oh, my fencing. We did have a pig incident, a pot-bellied pig incident this morning, Uh-oh. but I'm sure it will keep Scooter in. Okay, he's a, he kind of looks like a pot-bellied pig, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's probably glaring at me out in the field right now. Well, you thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Remember, tomorrow is Really Bad Ads Day. We have some terrific prizes for you this month, and they're all homemade, uh, handmade items. And they were donated for Radiothon, but came in too late. So we said we'd do them for for uh, the month of uh, December and the Really Bad Ad prizes. And besides, I wanted to talk about them a little more because they're really great prizes, and I don't think we'd have given them justice during Radiothon. So we'll
We'll be going over all of those tomorrow. Get your ads into Jennifer at Horse Radio Network. Com. And just a preview for the end of the month, uh, we will be taking off between Christmas and New Year's like we usually do. So our last show this month will be the 21st, and we're putting some best ofs together for the week we're gone. So the, the third will be dr- next driving episode, which means we'll be back. Oh, yay, driving! In a brand new year. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Wendy. DrWendyYing.com is where you can find it. Remind everybody what the product was. Uh, it was equine duho, which is a herbal formula for your geriatric horses or horses with arthritis. Or your geriatric geriatric people like me. That's uh, right. <laughs> you can go find all of the past episodes of Horses in the Morning. And also go to Driving Radio Show. You'll find five years worth of episodes that Wendy and I did there. So go to <laughs> drivingradioshow.com for all the past episodes of the Driving Radio Show. Thanks, everybody. All right. Keep the shiny side up. <laughs>